Last week, I mentioned that one of the greatest privileges I had as a missionary was the opportunity to share the Lord's table with churches all over the world. And one of the other great privileges I've had over the past decade is the opportunity to preach at churches all over the world. I've preached God's word at churches that meet in dirt floor shacks in Peru and at secret house churches in North Africa. Usually, I just preach at the church where I'm a member or at churches nearby, but every now and then I get invited to speak at a church out of town and they will put me up in a hotel. But there was one time when I was invited to preach at a church that the pastor told me that they wanted to get back to a more biblical form of hospitality. Didn't really know what he meant by that until I was picked up from the airport and showed up at his house. And that's when I realized they were going to put me up in one of their bedrooms. They actually kicked out one of their daughters, one of their young children from her room so that I would be nice and comfortable sleeping in the bedroom with the pink walls and sleeping in the bed with the pink sheets and the pink unicorn comforter. Now, after that night, I can't say that I share the exact same biblical convictions on hospitality as my gracious hosts, but it is true that hospitality back in the early church looked a lot more like that, but I'm guessing it was probably a lot less pink. Um, Back in the first century, traveling teachers and preachers didn't stay in hotels, they stayed in homes. This was a convenient way for the gospel to spread quickly across the Roman Empire, But unfortunately, it was also a convenient way for false gospels to spread across the Roman Empire. False teachers would take advantage of the love of Christians in order to spread their lies. It was such a big problem that both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John addressed it in multiple letters. John dealt with this in both 2 John and 3 John. But what we find in this short, often overlooked book of the Bible is so much more than a warning about false teachers. What we find is a message about how to live a life of truth and love in a world full of lies and hate. Which seems like a pretty timely message after yet another contentious political election, don't you think? Because we will see that the world hasn't changed all that much since this letter was written over 20 centuries ago. John's message remains just as relevant for us today. Look with me at how he begins his letter in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children. Unlike how the Apostle Paul begins his letters by identifying himself by name, the Apostle John avoids naming himself, just like he did in the Gospel of John. But the writing style of these three letters is nearly identical to the Gospel of John, and the early church attributed this letter to John, who goes here by the title of Elder, probably because by this time he was elderly, but also because this is a title that refers to a pastor of a church. As an apostle, John was probably a very well-known pastor or elder. Pastor John writes this letter to the elect lady and her children. Now, whereas there's not much debate about the identity of this elder, there is much debate about the identity of this elect lady and her children. Some people believe that it's a metaphorical reference to a local church. 
I don't really have any big issues with that view, but I lean more towards a natural reading of the text and see it as a literal Christian woman and her literal physical offspring. That's how most Christians have read it for the past 2,000 years. A good reason why it's probably a woman is that 2nd and 3rd John are sort of a complementary pair. 3rd John is written to a Christian man to encourage him to show hospitality to true teachers of the true gospel. And 2nd John is written to a Christian woman to forbid her from showing hospitality to false teachers of the false gospel. So this letter is also the same length as other personal letters in the New Testament, like Paul's letter to Philemon. Either way, the essential message of this letter is the same, whether it's addressed to one Christian family or one church family. And nearly 2,000 years later, its message about truth and love is still applicable to us all. John makes it clear that's what his letter is about right from the start, right from the greeting. Look at it with me. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, And not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. That phrase John uses, whom I love in truth, it doesn't just mean whom I truly love or whom I really love. When John says that he and all who know the truth love this sister in Christ and her children, he's saying they love them with a true love, not fake love real love, gospel love. That's the truth John is referring to here. He's referring to the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's love for us in Christ. The truth, this truth, is the truth that creates and compels true love in all true Christians, and that truth will never die. He says that it abides, or it could say it stays with us always, now and forever. It's not going anywhere. But it's not just truth and love that will remain with us. Verse three, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. And where do they come from? From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Grace, mercy, peace, truth, love. They all have one source, God. Notice how John keeps repeating these words, truth and love, over and over and over. He intentionally packs his greeting with the theme of the whole letter. In verse 4, he begins, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. John was filled with joy to find out that some of her children were walking in the truth, or in other words, living their lives in line with the truth of the gospel. That means they are faithful, obedient Christians. And This is what we pray for our children. This is what we long for them. This is what we pray for all the children in the back and for all you children who are in here right now. And we are, like John, we are thrilled when they faithfully follow Jesus. Verse five, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. Here we get echoes of Jesus' words From John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just as Jesus was not referring to a romantic sort of love, 
Neither is John in this letter to his sister in Christ and her children. All Christians, male and female, single and married, are called to love one another in Christ with true love, with gospel love. We show our true love for one another and for God by obeying his commandments, verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Living a life in obedience to God is the same as living a life of love, because Jesus told us the two greatest commandments, the summary of the whole law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So live by love, and you will live by the truth of God's word. John begins this letter encouraging this Christian family to continue to live by love, to live by true love for God and for one another. Because as we will see in a moment, they are living in a world full of wicked people who do not truly love God or others. They are living in a world where true love for one another is not normal. And that's the kind of world we still live in. And that's why this message is still relevant to us today. Right after giving that old commandment a new and deeper meaning, Jesus said this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That means what distinguishes Christians from the rest of the world is love. We live by love. So if the world is looking for love, for true love, they will find it right here in the church. And they don't have to look hard to find it around our church. Our love for one another is all over the place. It can be felt with a handshake or a hug during the greeting time. It can be seen and read in an encouraging note or message or letter that comes our way. It can be smelled and tasted in a delicious meal that arrives at our doorstep after a long, hard day taking care of a newborn or taking care of a sick loved one. It can be heard during a hard conversation about sin, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Our love for one another looks like rejoicing with one another at graduations, birthdays, and weddings, and weeping with one another at hospitals, funerals, and gravesides. Just think of all the ways that you have been loved and served just this morning by your church family. I'm so encouraged every week by how you all go out of your way to sacrificially love one another. In fact, there's so much love here in our church family that we can sometimes forget that this is not normal. This is not the experience of most people in the world. You know that, right? That's part of the reason why they're so angry and depressed. But the more we keep living by love as a church, the more we keep loving one another in a world full of hate, the more we show the world where true love can be found. And we don't just keep this love within the church. We are responsible to love all our neighbors as ourselves, not just the Christian ones. But we will see in the rest of this letter that love has limits and looks differently for those who are outside the church. Because living by love means living by truth. Look with me at verse seven. Verse seven is where this letter takes a sudden dark turn. Pastor John begins his warning here about the dangerous false teachers 
They could be headed straight for this family's doorstep. Verse seven. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. This is why it's so important that they live by love and truth because there are so many false teachers who claim the name of Christ but who in reality are imposters, deceivers, who live not by love, who live not by truth, but who live by lies. Specifically, John says that these false teachers do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. These false teachers deny that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior who is fully God and fully man who came and dwelt among us. What they are denying is the incarnation. This is an ancient heresy known as docetism. It denies that Jesus had a literal physical body, but that he just rather appeared to have human flesh. But as we're going to see during our next sermon series during the Advent, hint, hint, the incarnation is absolutely essential to the gospel. Because if Jesus did not take on human flesh, then he is not fully man. And if he is not fully man, then he cannot be a substitute to save mankind. So to deny the incarnation is to deny the gospel. These false teachers were deceiving people about the true nature of Christ. Therefore, John says, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, I know whenever we hear that word, the antichrist, We all start thinking about the end times and is this politician the Antichrist or is that politician the Antichrist? But what you need to know is that our word Antichrist is just a transliteration of the Greek word. That means we basically just took the original letters and put them into the English alphabet. And so as you can see, this word is a combination of the words anti and Christ. So according to John, Antichrist just means anyone or anything that is anti-Christ. Anyone or anything who is opposed to Christ is by John's definition, anti-Christ. They are an antichrist. John clarifies here and in 1 John that there are many antichrists because there are many people who are opposed to the true Christ. And here he says that these false teachers who deny the incarnation of Jesus are antichrists. They are antichrists because they oppose the true Christ who is fully God and fully man. They do not teach the truth about Christ and therefore they do not love the true Christ. Therefore they are antichrist. They are anti-Christ. John tells this family to be on the lookout for these antichrists. Verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. In contrast to these false teachers, John and his ministry team are the true teachers who loved them with true love and who taught them and worked hard to teach them the truth about Jesus and to disciple them in the truth. And so John warns them about these false teachers so they will not be led astray by their false teaching. Verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. As John so often likes to do, he makes a contrast here. He makes a contrast this time between the Antichrists and we could say the Pro-Christs. 
The Antichrists do not abide. They do not remain believing the truth of the gospel and in the true Christ, but they go on ahead. Instead of carefully following and faithfully walking with Christ along the narrow path, they've run off ahead and run off a cliff. So when the end comes, Jesus will leave the Antichrist behind because the Antichrist left Jesus behind first. But in contrast to the Antichrist, whoever abides in the teaching, that is whoever keeps believing the true gospel, has God the Father and God the Son. Notice he says one God at first, in the first part of the verse, and then the second part, the multiple persons, God the Father, God the Son. In this case, two persons of the three persons of the Trinity are specifically named. But notice in this verse how easily John switches from the singular God to both God the Father and the Son. He's emphasizing the point that they are one, that there is one God and multiple persons. John continues his warning with specific commands in verse 10. If these false teachers show up at her doorstep, John tells her exactly what to do. Verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. John tells her to stay away from these antichrists. If they show up looking for a place to stay, don't let them in your house. Don't even say hello. Shut the door in their face. Because when the false teacher showed up to town, they would look for Christians, especially Christian women, and take advantage of their love and hospitality. They would stay in their homes and turn their homes into their home base for spreading their lies throughout the community. The Apostle Paul was also aware of this strategy of the false teachers. That's why he warned Timothy, avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. So John commands this sister in Christ to stay away from them. And he tells her why in verse 11. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. The Greek word translated takes part comes from the same word for fellowship. Some versions translate it shares or participates in his wicked works. It could even be translated partners or allies in his wicked works. To provide a home for these false teachers would not be living by love. It would not be living by truth. It would be to partner with those who are living by lies by giving them a platform for their false teaching. John tells her plainly that if she receives these false teachers, she will become an ally with the Antichrists. To love these heretics in truth doesn't mean she can't ever speak to them or that she can't ever even share a meal with them, but it does mean that she does not treat them like they are true Christians or true teachers of the true gospel. True love has limits. She doesn't give the impression to others in her community that she supports these false teachers or that she approves of them. So it means she doesn't give them a place to stay or send them money or buy their books or follow them on social media or share their sermons. Refusing to support or give approval to these false teachers is an act of love because rejection of their lies could eventually open them up to receiving the truth. Whereas in love, the false teachers are not to be received 
Pastor John expects that in love he will be received as a true teacher as he says goodbye in verses 12 and 13. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Like all good pastors and preachers, Pastor John has so much more he wants to say, but doesn't have the time, or probably in this case, the parchment to do so. This letter was simply meant to be an urgent warning, a short encouragement to this Christian sister and her children to continue to walk in truth and love in a world full of deceivers and liars who hate and oppose the true Christ. And this is a very relevant warning for us today, isn't it? There are still many false teachers in our day and age who claim the name of Christ, but who in reality are deceivers and antichrists. The most obvious examples are the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses who claim the name of Christ, but who deny the full deity and full humanity of Christ and who, along with the prosperity gospel preachers, deny the true gospel. Now, it's important to note that John is not forbidding all hospitality to heretics or liars or false teachers. He's not telling us to be jerks for Jesus or to be rude to everyone who opposes Christ. But what he is telling us is that there are limits, that what he's forbidding us is treating antichrists like Christians. He's forbidding the kind of love and hospitality that would give support or approval to their false teaching. So John doesn't forbid us from ever speaking to our Mormon neighbors or even inviting them over for a meal in order to share the true gospel with them. But he is forbidding us from giving money to their child going on their two-year mission. He's not commanding us to slam the door in the face of the Jehovah's Witness because they're not coming to our house looking for room and board. What, based on what he's saying here, it would be totally appropriate to tell the Jehovah's Witness that you're not interested. But it would also be totally appropriate to tell them the true gospel. What would not be appropriate is giving them your contact info and the contact info of all your friends and family so they can spread their false teaching. And based on what John's teaching us here, it would also not be appropriate to support prosperity gospel preaching churches by supporting their worship bands and buying their music or going to their concerts. Supporting and being led astray by false heretical teaching certainly remains a danger for us today. But I believe we are in a far greater danger of allying ourselves with other kinds of antichrists. Every day it becomes more and more apparent that we live in a world that is hostile to Christ, that is opposed to Christ. And there are all kinds of ways we might take part in the wicked works of this world and find ourselves as allies of antichrists. For example, if you were devastated on Tuesday night because your politician or your party didn't win, then you need to know that you are allying yourself with those who make politics an idol and oppose Christ as the world's only hope. If you attend a gay wedding or cheat on your spouse, you are allying yourself 
with a world that opposes marriage as a reflection of Christ and his relationship with his church. If you're already planning all the stuff you're going to buy for yourself on Black Friday and you couldn't care less about giving sacrificially, then you need to know that you are allying yourself with a world that opposes finding true joy and contentment in Christ. If you watch or listen to sexually inappropriate shows or songs, you are allying yourself with a world that is opposed to Christ's purity and beauty as our standard and goal. Anytime we act like the world acts or speak like the world speaks or think like the world thinks or value what the world values, we are allying ourselves with a world that opposes Christ. And the reality is, every time we sin, we oppose Christ. That's what sin is. It's rebellion against King Jesus. Whenever we sin, we ally ourselves with the Antichrist, with the great deceiver, with Satan. By claiming the name of Christ, by calling ourselves Christians and continuing to sin, we are deceiving ourselves and others. We are not walking in the truth. We are not walking and living by love. We are living a lie. So we are just like the antichrists and deceivers that John is warning about in this letter. We deserve to have the door of heaven slammed shut in our faces. And apart from the grace of God, it would be. Truth and love came in the flesh and walked among us. And how did we treat him? John says at the beginning of his gospel that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus was treated like a false teacher. He was repeatedly accused of being a deceiver. The truth was treated like a liar. And when he faced the crowd, he was greeted with cries of, crucify him, crucify him. Then he was taken outside the city gate and put to death, just like the false prophets of old. We did not receive him. We shut the door of our hearts in his face. We opposed him. We treated Christ like an antichrist. But on the cross, Jesus was taking our place. He was taking the place of the antichrist. He was suffering for the sake who, for all those who oppose him by their sin. And then three days later, the truth and love came back in the flesh again. Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated the Antichrist, the great deceiver Satan, and ascended to the Father where he's getting ready to come back and put an end to the Antichrist's deception and lies forever. And today, he's not timidly knocking, waiting around, just hoping that maybe this time we'll let him in. No. Through the preaching of the gospel, he sends his Holy Spirit to kick down the doors of our hearts and fills us with his spirit of truth when we repent and believe. 
And my prayer is that will happen to some of you today. Because some of you need to stop deceiving yourselves and just admit that you're not really a Christian, that you've been living a lie. Right now, you need to forsake all your sin and truly put your faith in Jesus. Some of you need to stop deceiving others about your secret struggles and acting like everything's okay when you know for a fact that it's not. You need to live by truth, by telling a brother or sister in Christ about your struggles, about an addiction, or how you're struggling with anxiety or anger. So you married couples need to admit that your marriage is struggling to an older, godlier couple. And you need to receive their love when they tell you the truth from God's word and walk with them in an accountable relationship of truth and love. Some of you need to start living by the truth at work or at school or in your neighborhood and stop hiding your Christian faith. In love, you need to openly share the true gospel with others. Some of you need to repent of not living according to true love with others in the church. You need to forgive in love and reconcile in love with those who have hurt or offended you in some way. There's so many ways that we all need to respond to God's word today and live by truth and love, by the power of the spirit of truth and love. We can live by truth and love in a world full of lies and hate because by faith, we live in Jesus, the truth and the love. Now we can go to a depressed world, desperate for love, and we tell them the truth. We tell them the truth of God's love for us in Christ. And we, the church, the people of truth and love, the allies of Christ, show the world what it's like to live by truth and love by obediently following Jesus. And that's what we do until the day when in love, Jesus receives us into his father's house where we won't have to sleep in somebody else's bed because there'll be plenty of room for all of us. And when that day comes, we won't read about Jesus in Bibles full of paper and ink. When that day comes, we will see Jesus face to face and our joy will be complete.